Let's pray. Father, we, we believe that you are a big God, even as we sing these songs, which remind us of these truths and sort of uh, create this, this sense of awareness of who you are and, and uh, the fact that you are this good creator. Uh, you have created all good things. Uh, you are a God who is a redeemer. You are redeeming all things. You are a God who is just. You are a God who is forgiving. You are a God who is personal. You're a God who's global. And uh, even as we sing these songs and <clears throat> are reminded of these things, in some ways we just feel like we can't even express it enough. Uh, but we see it, Lord. And we believe that it's the, the inward move of the Spirit that creates the change, that creates the expression in our hearts. So God, as we enter into the Scriptures, as we enter into your Word, we ask that you, uh, that you speak to us. Those who are hurting, those who are struggling, suffering, those who don't feel like celebrating today, God, I pray that you soothe them, that you comfort them, that you become the healing balm for them. For those who are proud this morning, those who are puffed up in their flesh, they're relying in the flesh, God, I pray that you destroy, destroy their flesh this morning. Those who are enjoying this world and, and trusting in the things of this world to find to produce happiness, to produce peace in their life. God, I pray that you just remove the world from them. God, strip everything away. And through the power of your word, I pray that you invigorate a faith and a fire inside of us. That you cut out our old hearts and you, that you give us new hearts. Hearts that are faced toward you, that see you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turning your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, if you uh, need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, a couple guys in the back can bring you a Bible if you don't have one. If you are uh, uh, new to the Bible and you don't know where Matthew is, if you open up the front, you're going to find a table of contents. And I like to say this is the most important, non-inspired page in the Bible because it tells you where to find stuff. And uh, don't be ashamed to use it. Go to the table of contents. You can find Matthew in the New Testament right there. It's the very first book, and it's called a gospel, meaning it contains the story of Jesus Christ. Culminates in his resurrection. Amen. So go to Matthew. I need to find it myself here. We are uh, beginning to look at what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, last week, if you were here last week, was sort of a big introduction. So what we did was instead of having a two-hour sermon this week, we split it in two um, for your sitting comfort. And um, so we did our introduction last week broad introduction as to the, what this is. It's three chapters of Matthew here, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's all coming straight from the lips of Jesus. It's a sermon that he gave to his disciples, to his Christians, if you would, to those who are following him, to the citizens of this kingdom that he is instituting. Somewhat of a manifesto saying, this is it. This is what we're part of. This is who you are. These are the ways of the kingdom. That's what we're getting into. This is very exciting this morning. And so today we're actually beginning to dive into the very words of the sermon. We're looking at his opening statement. We, we call them the Beatitudes, the Blesseds, if you would. It's sort of his, his opener, his opening lines. So if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, just want to draw attention to these words. We're going to read verses 3 through verse 12. And follow along in your Bible 
as, as I read. I, I've got an English standard version of the Bible, and yours may be a little different. Matthew chapter 5, verse, we'll start with verse 2. And he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, are you ready to hear what he has to say? Thank you, Tony. Is everybody else ready? (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Quite an opening to a sermon, isn't it? Bam! He opens his mouth, and that comes out. We call these historically, we call them the Beatitudes, or the Blesseds. It's just a descriptor that we've given them to try to understand what's going on here, how Jesus is opening his sermon. I want to propose this. What Jesus is doing right here, as he's addressing his disciples, okay, so he's, a, he's, he's preaching the kingdom of heaven. There is this kingdom of God that has come to earth. It's available. You can access it. You can walk into it. You can experience it. It's an enter, entrance into his lordship, into the dominion where God rules. And it's a spiritual reality that is here and is available now, and it's also a reality that is physically to come later when the kingdom of God just completely crashes to earth. And we look forward to that. And so here he's opening this up and he's describing for you the values of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. All right? So as we read these, I want you to read these as the values. Like these are our controlling sort of core values. Do you guys understand the idea of core values with business and all of that? These are our core values as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, which is interesting to me sometimes when I do look at uh, websites of Christian ministries and you see their core values, you don't see persecuted and reviled as one of those core values. Typically. All right? And maybe we need to like rethink this for ourselves and these are our new, but these are essentially the core values, okay, of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is how they guide their lives. This is how they sort of operate. This is how they think. And they seem weird. Let's just be honest. I mean, let's just ask the question that many would ask. Seriously? Like, I hear them, they, to some degree, there's some sentimentality there. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, that's nice. I mean, it touched my heart. But honestly, like, my core value? Grieving? When people revile me? Like, I get the sentimental piece, but are they really, I mean, seriously, are they really practical? Now, here's what I want to propose. Jesus actually meant what he was saying here. He wasn't just being sentimental. He wasn't just trying to be interesting. He wasn't just trying to get you to think of a new perspective. But Jesus was being real. Saying it as it is. This is the descriptor of the citizen of the kingdom of God. These are their values. So here's my goal this morning. I just want to be honest. I'm not trying to 
hide anything. My goal this morning is to smash you of any kind of human pride. Any kind of uh, um, ability, uh, 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 trying to earn God's favor. My goal is to, is, is to obliterate that through looking at these beatitudes. My goal is to show you that these are indeed urgent, that we're not here playing games. All right, this isn't just doing something nice. Easter traditions, coming together, weekly Sunday service, whatever. Guys, we are like hanging on the balance of eternity here, okay? And in some ways, I'm standing between eternity and real souls. This isn't a game. And so as we look at these, I want us to hear the words of Christ. And I want them to hit us. And I, and I hope that it smashes us of any kind of pride, of any kind of belief that we can earn God's favor. And it's my goal that you see Christ. At the end of here, we sang the song, All I Have is Christ, all right? That you can literally just walk out of here and say, you know what, world, all I have is Christ. Like, it's all I've got. He's all I've got. All I have is Christ. Nothing else. My hands are otherwise empty. So here's what you're going to find as we go through this. You're going to find that these, that these values are um, uh, flipped. They're upside down. They're direct opposite when we compare them to the values of the kingdom of the world. All right? You guys know what I mean by kingdom of the world? So kingdom of humanity, the way that we structure ourselves as, hu- as, a, as a race, as a, as a humanity. This is how we do it. These are our values. I mean, for instance, kingdom of the world, quote unquote. Um, think of someone who would be celebrated in our world. All right? Why are they celebrating? And we can just go through. These are the values that they are driven by. These are the values that we, that this, this is what we want. What we see here is reverse. All of that. Like it's flipped. It's all upside down. This is what it means to be successful, to be seen, to be whatever in the kingdom of humanity. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. The values of the kingdom of God. Let me explain to, uh, in, in, our, in our world around us, in our culture around us, we value things like self-confidence. Belief in yourself. Just, just have more confidence. And so we go to hear sem- uh, speakers and seminars and how we can sort of have better self-confidence. Think better of yourself. You can do it. Everybody say, I can. I can. We like, yay, me. Right? So values of this world. Build it. Self-confidence, they would say, or um, self-expression. I mean, the greatest sin that you can commit is to not be who you are. Right? What does that even mean? Alright? So we, wear, we do weird things. Just express yourself because, man, it would be a crime if you didn't. Self-confidence, self-expression, self-realization, self-actualization, sort of becoming who you are, doing what, I mean, there's just like a little bit of element of boastfulness in all of this, isn't there? Like me, 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 you, 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 what else? Wealth, value of humanity, right? How much money do you have? What does your wallet look like? What does your bank account look like? Your status? What letters come after your name? How many degrees you have? What kind of job you have? Where you live? What kind of house you have? Your status. Everything that goes along with status. Who you are. Man, that's who I want to be. I want to have that kind of status, right? The values of this world that we live in. Man's applaud. Seeking man's applaud. I mean, I struggle with this. With all of these, like even as I was preparing this this morning, I'm thinking about coming into this little thing, I can't call it a pulpit, and, and, and preaching this and thinking like, can I distance myself from these values that dominate our world? 
Like, what if I go through this and nobody likes it? Well, I'd be destroyed. You see? The values that, we, that drive us. Getting man's approval. The affirmation of your coworkers and your family and those around you. These are the things that drive our world. Getting as much out of the world as we possibly can. Living it up. Having fun. Getting as much out of the city as you can. Don't miss a beat. Don't miss anything. Don't miss a party. You've got to be there for everything. Get as much out of this world as you possibly can. There's a uh, professional basketball player that I follow on Instagram. And uh, um, I love, look, I follow so many athletes. It's amazing. They have the craziest Instagrams. But um, uh, he had a picture of himself as a child and then now today in like GQ sort of. And uh, he said, from the bottom to the top, here I am. You see, I mean, and that makes sense in our world, right? So I was, I was this poor kid, growing up in the hood, whatever. And now look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm on the cover of GQ. Look at what I've got. Look at where I live. Look at the job that I have. Look how much money's in my bank account. And we all look at that and we follow him on Instagram. Why? But I do. From the bottom to the top. The values that we drew. I mean, that's, this is the kingdom of the world. This is the world that we live in. Now, um, you might say, okay, so what's, what's wrong with all of that? What's wrong with that mentality? Why, what's wrong with, with just being driven by self-confidence? What's being, being driven to have more applaud? Being driven to have, I mean, isn't it a good thing to have followers? Isn't it a good thing to have influence? What's wrong with these things? Now, I want to propose this. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with really any of those things. It's being driven by those things as our core values that is troubling. And we can simply do this. We can just look around. And we can see that being driven by these values has not fared our world very well. I mean, can you really disagree? I mean, just think right now, locally, right now, heartache. All right, a city that supposedly is having a couple financial problems. Four murders right around here in the last two weeks. Streets that aren't really safe to walk on after a certain hour. Corruption all around us. How, How have these values fared us? being driven by these values. I mean, this is what drives us. We can look around and we can say, the world isn't doing really well. All right? Problems. I mean, we, we thought that we were progressing a hundred years ago and then we enter into the 20th century, the 1900s for the lay person. The bloodiest century of all. Wars. Fighting trying to maintain us, whatever us is, trying to maintain you, trying to be confident in you, trying to express you, and this is what it culminates in. I would, I would submit this. You probably want something better than what we have around us in this world. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. You probably, if you could snap your fingers, would have it differently. I mean, maybe that's why some of you are here today. Maybe that's why you come every Sunday, because, man, there's, I need something different. I need something more. We need a better reality. We need better values to drive us. We need, we need a better kingdom to be part of. What you have before you guys, take a look at it. In Matthew chapter 5, these, these verses and then going on to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, what you have before you is that reality. I want to say that I, I, I think these words, like these lines that we just read and that we're going to dive into, 
are the most important lines written. I mean, or I should say some of the most, including what we're going to get into over the next couple of weeks. The most important lines written. What they describe for us, I submit, is what we need and what we really want. A different world. A different kingdom. Driven by a whole new set of values. So we're going to get into it. What we're going to see is that we're talking here about a transfer of citizenship from this world, driven by the values of this world, what dominates this world, into a new kingdom and a whole whole new set of values that dominate this kingdom. Now, a couple things about it. spoken by Jesus Christ, who was despised, who was hated, who was rejected in the kingdom of this world. All right? So think about it. The values of the kingdom of this world is what put Jesus on the cross, okay? Led him to the cross. Despised and rejected. Placed on the cross. Killed. Three days later, the testimony of hundreds at the time. Over 500 at one time saw him. The testimony was this. He got up. Like, we can't explain it any other way. Like, he was dead We dispersed, we were hiding, and then he got up. We saw him, hundreds of us. And so here we are then looking at this through the lens of the resurrected Lord. We have like a greater advantage as we listen to these things, as the the weight that these words carry than they did then, because we know that he passed through death, that he rose from the dead. And so we listen to these then. As, as they are coming from our resurrected Savior. All right, do you feel the weight? We're not playing games. It's not just about a nicer life or a dream of what life could be. These are the most real words ever written. All right, three instructions before we get into them. Because we all like instructions, right? <laughs> no, I know, Instructions. Now, instruction number one. All of these uh, beatitudes, so each blessed, all of these are meant for all Christians, all right? So what I'm saying is this. It's tempting to sort of read these and say, well, I'm that, but I'm not that, all right? Yeah, I've got that, but that's not me, and it never is going to be me, all right? So I'm the meek type, for instance, um, but man, I'm not a peacemaker, but she's the peacemaker, so we kind of go forward as a team. Like, she does the peacemaking thing, I do the meek thing. All right? Listen, these beatitudes, they need to be seen and understood and even taught as a whole. All right? This is a whole. They all go together. Meaning, if you don't have one, you don't have any. If you miss one, you don't have any. If you have one, you have them all. All right? So they are a whole. These aren't just like, these aren't personalities. All right, these aren't just like various aspects of being on a team and we all kind of bring something to the table. These are all meant, they all need to hit us, okay, as truth for us. These are all meant for all Christians. Second instruction, don't confuse these with natural born personality traits. So for instance, I often hear things like this. I hear someone say, man, he is more of a Christian than I am. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe in all this stuff about sin and resurrection and redemption. But he's, he's more of a Christian than I am. What do they mean by that? Well, he's sort of naturally prone toward some of this stuff. Like, in some ways, you know, we can be meek. We can, we can do these things. We can turn the other cheek. We can be a peacemaker and, and then be celebrated by Christians as, man, look how, you, you're more of a Christian than I am, yeah? you know? It's a, it's a drastic misunderstanding of what Christianity is. These, these are not referring to just natural, sort of born personality traits. Now, we are born, some people are born with personality traits that do look a lot like some of these, all right? So you might have someone who's kind of naturally bent toward humility, all right? Toward kind of being 
looking meek in a sense, or someone who is naturally bent toward being a problem solver, and they can create, they can, uh, create peace when, when there's fights and, and arguments. They can sort of see the big picture. Listen, good things, that's not what this is referring to, all right? These are not talking about just natural bents and abilities. If anything, what this does, and and I I believe what the intention of this is, why Jesus started out with this, is to obliterate our belief that we have the ability to do some of these things. To just smash us. Which brings us to my third instruction. Instruction number three, we need to read these like a sledgehammer. So when I was a kid, there was an old shed in, in our backyard, and my dad told us to go knock it down. That is like the best thing for an 11-year-old to hear. <laughs> so my brother and I got there with sledgehammers, and we just like take the sledgehammer and go to the foundation. Bam! Hit the corners. The thing fell. Like we were triumphant. <laughs> all right? Listen, this, is, this, this acts in the same way, all right? So in a sense, here are our foundations that we've built our lives on, our abilities, our talents. Oh, look, look how meek I am. Look how humble I am. Look how good I do these things. Yeah, I'm pretty Christian. I do a lot of this stuff that Jesus talks about. In the story. Like this comes along with a sledgehammer and it just like obliterates us. Bam! Takes out our foundation. All right? And I think that's the purpose of these is to knock out our foundation, to smash us in a very good way. So, are you ready to be smashed? <laughs> let's, let's allow Christ to pull out the sledgehammer and hit us this morning. Amen? Let's look at it. Verse, verse 3. Let's begin. And we're just going to kind of work through each one of these. The first one. Blessed, actually let's stop right there. Blessed, blessed. What does that word even mean? You know, often you'll, you'll ask someone how they're doing uh, and they'll say something like blessed, right? It's a common answer, I'm blessed, all right? Means you're doing good, all right? How do we, dis- how do, how do we define this idea of being blessed? Now, uh, I think often when we ask people what they mean by that, they'll say things like, well, I'm breathing, or I've got a good job, or I've got a good, good meal in my belly, or my family's good. Um, just things are good in my life. Being favored. Wow. Did you read my notes? <laughs> Being favored, yeah. But what we often do, and I'm going to get to favored in, in a moment, what we often do is we define favored by all these good things in our life. You see what I'm saying? So we actually take the values of this world, all right, status, success, money, wealth, health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We take the values of this world and we say, God favors us, and, and I know that because I have all of these good things. And do you guys see, this is actually the problem with the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel takes the values of this world and says we know God favors us. We know God affirms us because we have these things. So this word blessed means favor or, or affirms. That God affirms you. Have you ever been affirmed by someone? Maybe you're not affirmed right now. Maybe you don't feel affirmed. Maybe you've just lost a relationship and you're wondering if you'll ever be affirmed. Well, listen, what this starts out by saying is that there are those who are affirmed. You are affirmed. You are favored by God. Now, how do we know? Who are the affirmed? That's what we're getting into. Let's look at it. Verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Heaven. So this begins with this key. 
This is like the opening latch. Jesus takes the whole point, I think, of the Sermon on the Mount, and he boils it down into this one beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are the ones who are entering as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Who are they? They are the poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't just mean poor, or like financially poor. However, we can use that as, as an example. Think of someone who is financially poor. They've got nothing. They've got nothing in their wallet. They've got nothing in their bank account. No food on the table. Nothing in their refrigerator. This is someone now who has to rely on someone else in order to survive, correct? So when we talk about being poor in spirit, what we're talking about is this. Spiritual poverty. Like our spiritual bank account says zero. We pull out our spiritual wallet and we open it and there's nothing there. Spiritual poverty, poor in spirit. This is someone then who has realized that they need God's help. They need God's help. Now listen, this is the key qualifier to enter into this kingdom of God. Now I want to I explain this so you get it. This is so different from the world that we live in. Let's contrast this even from our own country, the United States of America. In order to come into the United States as an immigrant, you know, America has more immigrants every year than all other nations put together coming into this country. In order to come into America as an immigrant, you have to have a pre-existing connection. You have to have a reason, essentially. A job, maybe, going to school, maybe some family here, got a child here. You have to have some kind of pre, you have to have a reason. You have to, have, you have to be able to say, yeah, like, I, I belong there. Like, I need to come because I, I mean, that's, I belong there. I have a pre-existing connection. And guys, America is like one of the easiest countries to get into. But even still, pre-existing, what, what do you have? Now listen, contrast this, all right, with not the kingdom of this world, not the United States of America, with the kingdom of God, all right? Think about this in broad terms. The kingdom of God. What is the qualifier? How do you come in? The question is not, what is your pre-existing connection? Who do you know in heaven? You got anybody there? The question is this. Do Do you think you have anything? And if we say yes, the response is, I never knew you. This is troubling for those who believe that they have bank accounts full of spiritual goodness. But man, this is awesome for those of us who realize that we are spiritually poor. That we are spiritually broken. Our spiritual account says zero. The qualifier to get into the kingdom is first and foremost to say, my hands are empty. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And it's the only way that we can even gain access into the kingdom is to just fall before the throne and say, I've got nothing. I've got nothing good to offer. I'm vile. I'm broken. My spiritual bank account has like been closed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the key to the entire sermon. So we're going to read the rest of the sermon through the lens of that beatitude. Do you guys, are you, are you tracking with me now? Let's go to the next one, verse, verse 4. Blessed, or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted ask someone how are you doing they say i'm blessed what do you mean by that i'm mourning i'm grieving like that's not the first thing on our mind blessed are those who mourn like as a core value i mean it, it sounds nice it sounds sentimental it's touching but really 
as a core value, we are to value mourning and grieving. There is nothing in the kingdom of this world that we desire less than mourning and grieving. We try to avoid mourning and grieving at all costs. Have you ever wondered why all of your free time is spent with a drink or a joint in your hands? It's because you are trying to numb the pain. It's because you don't want to cry. It's because you don't want to mourn. It's because you don't want to grieve. And so we can find ways to tweak our minds to give us feelings of happiness, the kind of feelings that we really want. So we tweak our minds and we use chemicals to do so. We self-medicate so that we don't have to mourn. And all the while, what we're doing is this. What we're doing is this. We are numbing ourselves of the only thing that can break us and point us to Christ. Of the only thing that causes us to fall prostrate before Him and say, all I have is Christ. I don't have anything else. We're numbing ourselves of that. This is problematic, guys. This is urgent. Understand this. Blessed are those not who just constantly find ways to make themselves feel better, feel happy, change their mind. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. For they will be comforted. Now what do we grieve over? What do we mourn over? Because we don't want to just be sad people. And this isn't saying that Christians should go around as sad people. However, I will say this is why sometimes we do songs that sound sad in a minor key that create a sense of mourning within us, a sense of sadness. What do we grieve over? What do we mourn over? Number one, we, we grieve over our sin. We grieve over our sin. We, we, we realize the sinfulness of sin, how dark it actually is. Grieving over our sin changes for you when you realize that it was your sin that put Christ on the cross. It was that sin that demanded that he bleed. The costly nature of God's grace to save you and how we trample it, how we make light of it. And, and as we do, and we do, all right? As we do, we grieve over that. We grieve over the fact that we just take his grace and trample it. That we forget it. It causes us, it causes a Christian to mourn. I know, I know that you guys are truly understanding the gospel and truly Christians. Not when, I, not when you're not sinning, but when I see you grieving over your sin. And I see that. I see that. One brother a few weeks ago came up to me after the service and he, and he said he confessed this major sin in his life. And he was in tears. And in, in no sense was I like, oh, you scumbag. I was like all smiles. Why? Because he committed the sin? No, because he was crying. He was grieving it. And I said, brother, I said, I know that you're a Christian. I can see it because you're grieving over this. Take heart. You are forgiven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We, tr we find true comfort. Another reason we mourn is this. Death. Loss. Suffering. Man, like this idea that Christians, oh, we don't have to mourn over death. You know, it's just, we're, we'll see him again in heaven. Big deal. No, like what? What a shame. I mean, death. Death is the like most vivid um, outcome of our sin. Of the fact that we are a broken, sinful world. We see death. And every time we see death, whether it's a family member, whether it's someone out here on the steps, or whether it's someone that wouldn't even, an obituary that we, we, we're reading, we grieve over these things. We mourn over these things as we walk through the cemetery because this is our most vivid reminder that brokenness exists 
in this world. So we grieve it, we mourn it, and blessed are those who mourn, for they will truly be comforted. We also mourn because of just the general brokenness in the world. The way that people just run to other things, find hope in other things. You know, as an example, let me use Baltimore as an example. We look at Baltimore. Now, how does your heart respond when you think of Baltimore? Um, I think there's typically one of three or four responses when we think of Baltimore. Uh, and, and, and when I say Baltimore, I don't mean the Inner Harbor. Um, more of just like the reality of just living in the city, life in the city, the good, the bad, um, the ugly. When we think of our city that we live in, I think there's typically one of three or four reactions. Um, one is to have no hope and to say, well, you know, there's crime, like springtime has sprung and my car just got broken into and there's been murders. I'm moving to the county. You know, like no hope. I'm out. Check out. Lower taxes. No hope. Another way to look at it um, would be to ignore it. This would be sort of the partier. Like, you know what? I get that there's a lot of brokenness in Baltimore. I get it. But there, is a, there, 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 there are a lot of great bars in Baltimore. <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy it. And we ignore it. We just ignore it. We just say, you know what? I've found my little group of friends. I've found my little family. This is my neighborhood. This is my block. These are my favorite places to go, favorite restaurants, man, Char- Indian food on Charles Street. God bless it. Man, if you have not been to Lumbini yet, I think I've said that before in my sermons. And, and we, but we just ignore it. it. Like, there's no sense of grieving. We just kind of, we're going to make the best of it. We're just going to enjoy being here. Um, another way to look at it would be sort of the activist, all right? You're going to start a nonprofit, go to work, fight against it. Very good thing, by the way. Go ahead and do that. But here is the citizen of the kingdom, all right? The citizen of the kingdom responds in the same way that Jesus responded when he was coming to Jerusalem. On that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, he's coming into Jerusalem, and he sees the city which God loves. What happens? He weeps. He breaks. He mourns. He grieves over it. Why? Because he loves it. He loves this city. He loves the people in this city. He wants the best for this city, and he sees how they are missing it. And so we look at our city that we love, the people that we love, and we say, oh, that you would get it, that you would see it. And our heart is broken, and we grieve. And it does move us into action, but we first grieve, and we first mourn the brokenness in our city. A Christian is someone here whose heart has been made soft. They cry. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Friends, the worst thing that you could do is to go through your life with no grieving and no mourning. To go through your life, everything works out, no problems, you don't lose anyone, and you go into eternity trusting in this world. Not believing that there's really anything better that we need anything more. No, God allows suffering. Blessed are those who suffer. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will find a comfort that the pill can't give. Shade, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. For they shall find true, true comfort. Shalom, as Shade mentioned. Peace that God gives in this world. Also, they find that in this kingdom that is to come, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order is put away. Blessed are they who mourn in this world. If we are going to get through the rest of this before the day's over, we need to move faster. So try to keep up. We're just going to kind of go through a little quicker here. I'm talking too much. 
Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this is not referring to someone who's a pushover, all right? Christians aren't pushovers, all right? Jesus was meek, but he wasn't a pushover. This is not just someone who's bent toward humility. They're just kind of a nice person. But rather, this meekness, it's like a God-given, selfless, others-oriented type of meekness. Looking for the for others, and actually fine when others take advantage of you. Let me give you a quick example. Abraham is called meek. Why? You know why Abraham was called meek? Because he allowed his son-in-law Lot to take advantage of his kindness and walk all over him. And God said, that is meek. When you extend kindness to someone and they take advantage of it. When you Put yourself out there and someone walks all over you. When you do something for someone and then they take credit for it. Now we're starting to understand meekness. You see how this isn't a natural ability? This is like a God-given power kind of grace. Blessed are they who are criticized, who are scrutinized, and who do do not put up their hands in defense. They take it. They always put others first. How? How can they? Look what the meek, look what happens with the meek. For the meek shall inherit the earth. So it's almost like, like for instance, let me use uh, Easter eggs as an example. Um, We had an Easter egg hunt yesterday, which was crazy. All right? The eggs were gone in 0.5 seconds. Well, my youngest daughter, Eden, she's five years old, she was out there and, and um, ran around, no eggs, like, oh, I see an egg. Some other kid, like, bumps her out of the way, takes the egg, go this way. She comes back, all right, with, like, opened eggs. Like, the kids opened the eggs, took the candy, and left the, left the uh, shell. She comes back with the shells. And she's like, I don't, I don't see any candy in here. So I was talking to him, I'm like, Eden, um, I'm, I'm thinking, like, how do I explain the gospel through this? <laughs> and I said, Eden, um, what, if, what if you found all the Easter eggs and you had all the candy in the world, all right? And what if you had a bounce house in your bedroom? Like, ev- you had everything, um, but then you didn't get heaven. Would that be okay? And she was like, like what? She's like, no. That wouldn't be okay. Guys, essentially, that's kind of what's happening here. He's saying, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are bumped out of the way. Blessed are those who are taken advantage of. All right, you're too slow. You're, 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 you don't speak quick enough. Or you were kind and someone walked all over. You did something for someone. They took, advi- they took credit themselves, all right? You're, blessed are the meek. And it's okay for us to miss all the candy in the Easter egg hunt. Why? Look at it. Because we inherit the earth. You see? We inherit the earth. Fine, take the candy, whatever. I don't need the chocolate. Because I'm inheriting everything. We are inheritors of the earth, and so it frees us. Do you see how this works? To be meek. Verse, let's go on, verse, verse uh, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now I see a lot of people hungering and thirsting for a lot of things. Rarely, maybe never, do I see someone hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Right? Man, what, if you could have anything, what do you want? Righteousness. You religious, you just want to be Righteous. I mean, but think about it. Let's, let's really think about this honestly, all right? Spiritually, we'll say, like, we hunger and thirst. Like, I just want to feel God. You know, I want to go to my devotions. I want to just, I want to feel, what does that even mean? I don't know. But I want to feel God. I want to experience God. I want to know. I want to, I want to, when are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to be righteous, to be holy, to be done with this old, sinful, corrupt self, and to live like Jesus in this world. 
Or maybe socially. We, we, we hear a lot of people hungering and thirsting for a lot of things socially. I hunger and thirst for um, safer streets, hunger and thirst for a, a, uh, a city where people aren't shot up uh, for the drug trade to be figured out. I hunger and thirst for these things. And, and there are activists, politicians, hungering and thirsting for these things, and we should hunger and thirst for those things, but that's not the value of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You see, what we hunger and thirst for is actually the one thing that solves everything. I mean, think about it. What's really wrong with humanity? What's really wrong with our city? It's not just that we need to build houses or something like that. What's wrong is that we don't have righteousness. We're driven by the values of this world. And it drives us to destruction. So citizens of the kingdom of God hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be satisfied. Why? Because the righteousness of Jesus Christ is enough. We see it in Christ. And that's enough for us. And so we're given his righteousness and that's enough for, for us. And by the way, we're, we're, we continue to be given his righteousness and we continue to grow into a righteous person because, not of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. And his righteousness is enough. We are satisfied. Our hunger and our thirst is satisfied. Verse 7, we have to go faster. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is not referring to just someone with an easygoing spirit. Jesus was both merciful and just. He wasn't just a personality that was easygoing. Where we see Jesus' mercy is on the cross First and foremost, as he's hanging there, and as these people who have like literally just driven nails into his hands and his feet, crown on his head, he's hanging on the cross, he looks at them and he says what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is mercy, my friends. When you are crucified and you look at those who just slammed a nail into your hand and you say, Father, forgive him because he's blind. He doesn't get it. He knows what, not what he does. A merciful person is not someone who just naturally has the ability for this. A merciful person is merciful. Look at it. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This isn't a cause and effect. What this is saying is, is they shall receive mercy. You, you know mercy. You've heard the voice of Christ say, Father, forgive them. You know the mercy of God. Do you see? And so that frees you now, like the rest of the Beatitudes, to be merciful. So I can be merciful. Listen, someone who says, I will never forgive, I cannot be mercy in that, merciful in that way, they do not know the forgiveness of God. It's just that simple. Because if you did, if you knew the mercy of God in your life, if you knew the forgiveness of God in your life, then you too would be merciful and you would show mercy to others. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The first commandment, love God with all of your heart, right? With all of your heart. Now, contrasting this with the values of the world, the world looks not at the heart, but at the external. They look at your, your, your looks, your beauty, your swag, your intelligence, right? We look at these things, and actually we, we focus on these things, because it's easy to kind of change the external. Guys, listen, we see people externally change all the time, all right? All the time. I could give you a bunch of examples, funny examples of how people just change externally, all right? You go from like awkward to swagadelic. You go from like ugly to beautiful, like it just happens sometimes. And we, we love that. We celebrate that. Jesus doesn't care. God doesn't care about the external. What it says is, God looks at the heart. Now, the heart is our seat of emotions. It's our desire. It's our intentions. It's why we do what we do. That's what God's looking at. And see, this is why we're condemned. This is why this is a sledgehammer. It's because we look at the heart. Not so easy for us to change. We look at the heart and we realize we need some extra supernatural force to come in and to change what we cannot change on our own. And you look to Christ and that's what you find. You find that he cuts out your old heart, heart of stone, and he gives you a heart that is soft, that is malleable, 
a heart that is pure. Out of the heart, out of the old heart, comes murder and adultery and all of these things. Jesus changes hearts. And if your heart's been changed, say amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Of course they will, because God is a God that makes peace. He made peace through the cross. This is the word that Shade used earlier. Shalom. This isn't just referring to breaking up a fight. This isn't just re- saying that you should go apologize to someone you offended. This is saying these are people who are bringing about the shalom of God in this earth. So the, the kind of peace that is in the kingdom of God, which is complete well-being, personally, in the community, these are people who are actively working toward and demonstrating that shalom. Now, let me just say this. This is a culmination of all the other Beatitudes. So if God were to transform a person and they're living as a citizen of the kingdom, shalom is something that naturally develops in their life. They watch their tongue. They're slow to speak. They see every situation through the gospel, in light of the gospel. They act uh, as people who are forgiven, as people who have been shown mercy. And they love people as God loves them. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's capped now. Kingdom of heaven at the beginning, kingdom of heaven at the end. This is the descriptor of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, he expounds on it. Look at it with me. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look at this. Rejoice when you are reviled, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, when people speak falsely against you, rejoice. What? How is this possible? How is this possible that we can rejoice when we are persecuted? Well, this is what it means. Let me, let me give you three ways to look at this. One, when you are persecuted, when you are condemned, when you are speaking evil against you know that you are truly Christ's because Christ was condemned. The world spoke evil against Christ, spoke falsely against Christ, and it says to you, your identity is in Christ. You're part of this. The world hates you now. Okay, cool. Because I'm His. I'm part of another kingdom, a better kingdom. A kingdom that is not of this world. You find your identity in Christ when the world despises you. Listen, what if everyone loved you? What if no one ever spoke evil against you? You would never long for something more. I was sitting with a dude at my desk and he was telling me about how people don't like him. And I was like, look, brother, you got to understand, like, that's awesome. Because what it's doing in you right now, you need to rejoice in that because it's, it's building a craving into you for something more. To lean into Christ and to say that the world, I've got nothing, the, I need Christ. All I have is Christ. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, when, for righteousness' sake, when men revile you. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Nothing exhorts you guys. Nothing exhorts you more to be who you are meant to be than these Beatitudes. Essentially, Jesus is saying, be who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are freed to be. And at this point, you may say, ah, I cannot. That sledgehammer effect, that conviction effect of saying, we can't. Like, even this morning as I'm preparing for this, all right, I'm, I'm, even this morning as I was preparing for this, like, kids, kind of snippy, I'm kind of snippy, lacking in patience, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, 
I've got to be talking about this, all right? And I keep remembering that I'm so far removed from that in some ways. There is this sledgehammer effect that this has on us. What it says is this. We are not saved by our works. We are not part of the kingdom because we do these things. We are saved by Christ. Here's the beauty of it all. Listen, Christ, as much as he's describing a citizen of the kingdom, he's describing himself. Christ is all the righteousness that we need. Christ is enough for those who are poor in spirit. He is the comfort for those who are grieving. Christ is the meekest man to have ever lived. He was truly merciful. Christ had the purest heart. Christ's blood made peace with you and God as men despised Him. You see, we look to Christ and we find all that we need. And when we do, what we discover is Christ is enough. Not only enough to save us, but also enough to change us internally. To give us, as John was talking about earlier, the power that's not our own to look more and more like a citizen of the kingdom. Three statements I want to end with. Number one, the world needs to see this lived out. The world needs to see this lived out among Christians. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He was a pastor back in the day. He said, if, if Christians, if churches actually lived this out, he said, we would, we would see the long-awaited revival that we've been hoping for. Like, we would just see a transformation. Why? Listen, the world doesn't care if you look like them. The world doesn't care about what you say when you're driven by the same values that they're, that they're driven by. And what amazes me about a lot of, like, Christian literature right now, evangelical culture, whatever, is so much of it says... Um, uh, the more we can reflect the world, the more the world will want to be part of us. If we can just kind of tear some of these things down, the more we can look like we're driven by the same values, success, money, wealth, then the more the world's going to want to be like us. Listen, I've never seen someone fall on their knees, understand the wonder of the cross and the life change that can come with that because we were able to party as well as they do. Because we spent our weekends in the same way that they do. Because we spend our money in the same way that they do. I've never seen that. You know what draws the world? What draws the world is when they can see us and say, I don't get it all. Some of it looks regressive, even. I don't get it all, but there's something there that's beautiful. There's something there that, it, that I long for. The world needs to see this embraced by us. Number two, um, second statement citizens of the kingdom, so if you are a citizen of the kingdom or a Christian, citizens of, citizens of the kingdom should long for this. We, we should long for this. Now, what I mean by that is this. We all get it. We all know, like, I'm not going to walk out of here and say, yeah, I'm every single one of those. And actually, if we did, it would be problematic because then we would not be poor in spirit. We'd, like, because I'm so good at doing this Christian thing, I've got it down. No, we fail all the time, and that's why we have grace. That's the beauty of the gospel. The good news of Jesus isn't that he come, came and gave us a list of things to do. The good news of Jesus is, is that he came and did it for us, and then gave us his righteousness and the power to become like him. And so there's one of two responses to this. One, you could hear this and you could say, I don't like it, I hate those values, I don't want to be driven by those values. Or, you could say, I long for that. I want that. There's something in me that desires that. God, allow these things to come become reality in my life. That is the response. 
We should long for these things. Number three, last statement I want to leave you with. Your only entrance in, into the kingdom of God is to say, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to offer. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, here's the Sermon on the Mount, follow this, and you'll find yourself in the kingdom of God. Jesus came and he started it off by saying, blessed are you who realize you're broke. You're spiritually broke. You spiritually got nothing to offer. Today, realize that you are spiritually broke. You're like the prodigal son. You remember that story? The prodigal son who took his father's wealth, he took, took off and he squandered it. He was living it up. He was, he was happy in this world. He was happy in the kingdom of this world. And then he found himself eating with the pigs. Eating with the swine. And you know what? While he was eating with the swine, he said, I would rather do this. I would rather eat with the swine than go back to my father. And so he sat there, fooled into believing that he had found freedom and happiness while he's eating with the swine. And the father is there. His eyes were opened. And he turned back to the father and he saw his father's open arms. I've got nothing. He came back to the father broke, spiritually broke. He had nothing to offer and he was greeted with love and with a celebration of prodigal. The prodigal has come home. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way that sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. You've seen this morning that there is no hope in the promises of this world. There's no real joy in the promises of this world. It's all fading. It's all fake. It's all hollow. And we've tried and we're finding now that we've been eating with the swine. And your eyes have been opened and you see that you're eating with the swine and that you want and that you need something better. And then you cry out, all I have is Christ. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all may see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. O oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, transform our hearts we see this we see this description it's has served as a sledgehammer it's knocked us of our flesh knocked us of our pride knocked us, uh, us of our trying and god we are freed from that we're freed from trying we're freed from this this belief that we have to do something to earn your favor god we come to you as people with nothing in our hands Broken, spiritually poor people. And God, we come assured that we have entered into your kingdom. The kingdom of light. Out of darkness, you have called us into a marvelous light. Let us see that light. Let us remember that light. Let us live within that light. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrected Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.